Dads are not perfect, obviously. Um, Some hide their imperfections a lot better than others, Uh, but none of us are perfect. And my first dad fail was actually the, like right before, in fact, uh, my first son was born. So I am very new to this dad thing, and I had a very, very big fail early on, and it all came down to planning. When we plan well, we, we tend to do okay. When we fail to plan, well, we, we, we just fail. And uh, so let me tell you what happened, and uh, you are going to feel unbelievably sorry for my wife, who has stuck with me for almost 10 years, even after uh, this encounter for our first son. So we are on our way to the hospital. Connor, it's time for him to be born. And uh, so, you know, if you are a first-time parent, you've got everything ready. We have our duffel bags. We have our book bags. We have, I have already had the car seat installed for like three weeks just in case. So I have done everything by the book. We get everything ready. We have everything planned. Becky says, Brian, it's time to go. And we said, okay. So we jump in the car and we start heading to the hospital. Now I had planned for everything, literally everything, had everything ready. The only thing I couldn't plan for was when this, is, when this moment would actually happen. Is this going to be in the middle of the night, during the day, early in the morning? We obviously had no way to plan for that. And I didn't think ahead. So Connor decided to come right around lunchtime. So Becky says, we have to go. So we get in the car, we get all everything packed up, and we start heading to the hospital. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining how long we're going to be in the hospital and how long it's going to take for all this to happen. And I'm like, I'm going to be really hungry by the time I can get out of the hospital. <laughs> Logical thing to think. So on our way to the hospital, the hospital straight ahead, I noticed something out my window, a Wendy's. Let's go in there real fast. Before we get to the hospital and we're admitted and we're there for days, maybe I could just swing by real quick. No big deal, right, Beck? So I do. I, I swing by Wendy's. It's about 1130 and I go through the drive-thru. No joke. Go through the drive-thru and I order what every good person orders Two junior double or two junior bacon cheeseburgers and a medium fry. And I look at my laboring wife. Do you want anything? And in that moment, I knew I made a mistake because she didn't say anything. She didn't have to. There's the look. You know the look, right, ladies? There's this look, and the look was I made a big, big, big error. What was it though? And I didn't quite piece together was the fact that I ordered lunch on her way to the hospital. So afterwards, she explained it. I was like, why are you so upset? Is it, is it the, the pains talking? That was another mistake, and I've made a lot since then. But in that moment, I knew I had made a mistake, but I am at least happy to tell you I've learned from that mistake. So we have a total of three children. I made a big mistake on the first one going through the drive-thru. I've not gone through a drive-thru since. I packed snacks for the next two. <laughs> With all the duffel bags and car seats and everything else, I have a little bag that's Brian's snacks. So whenever we were going to go into labor, I didn't have to go through the drive-thru. So the point is you have to learn from your mistakes. And I, for the most part, learned. I've made plenty of mistakes since then, plenty that I'm not going to share here with you. But the point is, planning makes a big difference, doesn't it? And, And we plan as much as we can. And of course, there's a lot of things we can't plan for. But we plan, we plan, we plan. And when we plan well... We see good things come out of those plans. Doesn't mean they go perfectly. Doesn't mean they go according to our plan. But planning is a big deal. And I'll just generally say it. As dads, we're not always great planners. And all of us could say, oh, I plan well in this area of my life. But this area of my life, I just wing it. Right? We all have those dads and non-dads. We, we plan well in some areas. And in other areas, we just, well, let's see what happens. 
And usually that comes out of we just don't know what to do with it. So I'm hoping in my prayer for you this morning is not that you would have some big major life plan figured out in our 25 minutes together. No, but it's that you would start thinking in that way. You know, as, as you look at not just major decisions, but any decisions, as you look at where you want to see your life and where God's leading you in your life, what's the plan to get there? You might have heard it said that if you have a goal without a plan, it's just wishful thinking. And so often we walk through life just wishing things worked out. No, I mean, if you have a direction you want to go, if you have a direction that God is guiding you and leading you and taking you towards, it's really our job to work that plan and to develop some kind of a plan to reach that instead of just hoping and wishing that it all works out. So to show you how this works, uh, I've got a story for you, a story that maybe you haven't heard. Again, the greatest stories never told is our summer series. We're going to be looking at stories that either you've heard very little about or that you might not have even known was in the Bible. So head over to Judges, Old Testament, Judges chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12. We get a story, perfect for Father's Day, about an assassin. And that's basically what the judges are. It's a nice way. The book of Judges is about people that God has raised up to rescue or to deliver his people from captivity. And they ended up being what we might nicely call judges, or in a better word, they're pretty much assassins or warriors. They're heroes for God's people when they were in captivity. And that's exactly what he did. This, this judge that we're going to learn about this morning, his name is Ehud. Ehud is in Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 12, says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over the Israelites. Now, time out there just for a quick second because you need to understand the cycle that we see. Key word here, if you go back to the beginning of verse 12, it says, again. Again, the Israelites did evil. Again, they disobeyed God. And all throughout the book of Judges, you see that word again. You're going to see it again and again and again. So here's the cycle that we see throughout the book of Judges and why the individuals like Ehud are necessary. So just as we read, they did evil on the side of the Lord. That was basically step one, right? They followed God, but then they disobeyed God. When they disobeyed God, exactly what we read here, God let them be handed over. The Israelites would be handed over to another foreign power. In this case, Moab. So they would become captive and slaves to another king, another kingdom. Well, in the midst of their slavery and captivity, they decided they didn't like that. So the Israelites would always then cry out to God, God, we're sorry. God, save us. God, deliver us. God, help us. And then a God would hear their cries and he would raise up a judge. That judge would then rescue and deliver them from whoever was holding them captive. And then all the Israelites would praise God. God, thank you. We will never leave you. We will always follow you. And then again, they would do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then they would go into captivity. And then they would say they were sorry. And then God would raise up a judge to deliver them. And then they would praise God. And we will never leave you again. And then they will disobey God. Do you see the cycle here? That's what we see through the entire book of Judges. It's the life of the Israelites. It's also our life, if you want to look at it that way, where we have this cycle. So here it is again. The need, the need for God to deliver his people because they had done what was wrong. And so he does just that. He raises up Ehud, verse 15, again, it's again the key word throughout Judges, again the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud. And here's what we're going to learn about Ehud. Now here's what I want you to listen to. If you're following along, reading behind me or just listening to the story, I want you to try to find the plan. Listen to the plan that is going to lead to Israelites being rescued through this man named Ehud. Here's how it goes. So here's Ehud, a left-handed man. 
And the Israelites sent him with a tribute to the king of Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit. That's about 18 inches, so just a, a small little dagger. And he had strapped it to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to the king of Moab, who was a very fat man. That's important. Don't overlook that fact. He was a very fat man. This is going to be a huge part, pun intended, towards the plan. There you go. You're welcome. Nothing like dad jokes. He was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he dismissed those who carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gagal, he himself, that's talking about Ehud, he went back to the king and said, Your majesty, I have a secret message for you. Now hold up there. So make sure we all have what's happening in our minds. So Israelites disobeyed. God raises up Ehud, says, Ehud, you need to go and rescue and deliver my people from this king of Moab. He says, okay, I've got a plan. Now, which hand was he? Was he right-handed or left-handed? Left-handed. Now, here's why this is important. If you were right-handed, where do you keep your sword? Right? And you would grab it that way. I'm giving some of you men, you should know this, right? We, we're experts with swords. So normally we have here, because he was a lefty, his sword was on which side? His right side. And instead of having the normal link sword, he created a small dagger about 18 inches long and kept it on this side. Now, why that's important is because when he would walk into, he had a tribute, he had money, basically, he's going to present to the king on the behalf of Israelites. He walks in, and the guards quickly would search which side of him. Normally the left, because lefties were not very well known back then as they are today. So he walks in, and they quickly look for a sword to make sure he wasn't armed on this side, but joke's on them, he had it on his other side. And it wasn't something that would have been seen under the clothing. He kept a small dagger on his right side. So he's able to get into the king's throne room without being noticed of having a weapon on him. He presents this tribute to the king. He begins to walk away with everybody else, but he stops short, and he turns back around. Everybody else keeps going, and he walks back towards the king. Here's where the plan gets interesting. So he says, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, leave us, and they all left. So now it is just Ehud and the king of Moab in the throne room together. They are all alone. Verse 20, Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in his upper room in the palace. So a nice private place. And he said, Ehud said to the king, I have a message from God for you. And the king was real intrigued. So as the king rose from his seat, here it is, verse 21, Ehud reached with his left hand, he drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. How's that for 9.30 in the morning for you? Now this next part, I have to give you the PG version because it is 9.30 and I think we have some young ones, so go read it this week. You're like, that's in the Bible? It's in the Bible. So here, let me sum it up for you. What he has done, he has then plunged it into the belly of this king. And what was that important fact about the king? He was fat. So he plunged the knife into this king's belly. The king's belly covered up the handle. So nobody knew that he had been stabbed. He was that big. And then he leaves. Ehud walks out, closes the door behind him, and walks out of the palace. Meanwhile, the guards are standing outside still. And they're like, he's been in there a while. Think everything's okay. He, the, the guards go and they check the door. Nope, he's still in there. They wait and wait and wait until the point of like, okay, something's probably wrong. They walk in and they see their king dead on the ground but can't figure out why he's dead because he was so... 
and they couldn't tell that he had actually been stabbed. So they have no way of knowing who or what just happened. All they know is that their king is dead. Now, by the time they figure that out, Ehud has made it all the way out of the palace, made it all the way out to the army, the Israelite army, and says, the king is dead. Let's take our people back. So now they attack the rest of the Moabites, and they get their freedom. All because of an incredible plan, but here's how it ends. Verse 30, after the battle, verse 30 says, That day, that one day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for how long? What's it say? 80 years. Scripture says, because of that one day, the events that took place in that one single day, Israelites not just got their freedom back, but they had peace for 80 years. 80 years. I told you, I wanted you to pay, a, pay attention to the plan that went into this. Because again, so often, we just talked about miracles last week, we often pray and hope and wish for a miracle. Nowhere in this scripture do we see a miracle happen. Nowhere do we see a miracle. What we see is an incredibly thought out plan, a well thought out plan. It was a great plan, not a miracle. So as we went through that story, think through, revisit in your mind all that happened and start picking out the plan, everything from, okay, as God raised up Ehud, he was a lefty. It was a good plan that Ehud was left-handed versus right-handed because it allowed his sword to be on his right side instead of his left side. It was a good plan to, instead of having the normal size sword, it was a good plan to create a double-edged sword that was so much smaller that would have been unseen under his clothing on his right side. It was a good plan to bring a tribute to the king. That was a good plan to get into the throne room of the king. It was a good plan to start walking away but stop short and to walk back so everybody else kept going, yet it was going to be Ehud and the king alone. It was a good plan to go to the king and say, I have a secret message for you because that got the rest of the king's men out of the room. It was a good plan to approach the king and it was a good plan to kill him in such a way that no one would know, at least in the short term. It was a good plan to then walk out and lock the doors. It was a good plan to keep walking immediately and go to the Israelite army. It was a good plan that got them their nation back in one day. I mean, you look through that story, it's a flawless, well-thought-out plan. Not a miracle where God snapped his fingers and gave the army over to him. We see that happen. Didn't happen in this case. God gave the Israelites their freedom because of a great plan. Now, I'll be the first to admit, and, and I hope you're not hearing this out of Scripture, we can't, of course, plan for everything. There's a lot of things we most certainly cannot plan for. And as dads, we hopefully become experts in, in figuring out how to adjust, because here's a good example of what to do when you just can't plan for it, right? Sometimes we just react, and we should. Save that kid's life. Go dad, but other things we really should be able to plan for. We should be able to have enough wisdom to look ahead and say, I can't plan for everything, but I need to be able to plan for some things or else something like this will probably happen. If you don't plan what you should plan, wait for it. There it is. Funny and sad all at the same time, isn't it? I love this guy here. He's pointing at the other guy. We should have planned. Some things you can't plan for, and of course you have to react and respond to. Some things you should be able to plan for. So I'm not saying your entire life can be well thought out and planned flawlessly, but there are things that we need to be able to plan 
for, most definitely need to be able to plan for. My dad, and I'm sure many of your dads, and many of you probably say this as well, one of the wisest things any man has said is you measure twice and you cut once. Yes, you measure twice, you cut once. That's wisdom, right? Wisdom is what pours into a well-thought-out plan. You have to have wisdom. If you do not have wisdom, you are not going to have a well-thought-out plan. So let me help you understand wisdom, the best possible way that I can. My wife's on this side. Let me come over here. <laughs> Many of us think of wisdom of either you have it or you don't. Or, or man, I, you make excuses for not having wisdom because, well, I don't have the life experience. I'm not as smart. I didn't do as well in school. He's getting nervous. And so from this, from wisdom, we make a lot of excuses of why we might not have it or why we shouldn't have it or not be expected to have it. Wisdom really doesn't matter on experience. It helps. Yes, of course. If you have life experience, it's going to help you in your wisdom. But even with little life experience, you should still be expected to have some wisdom. Here's why. There we go. All right, you ready? Now, why are you nervous? <laughs> right? Be, no, no. Think through this, right? It's a silly example, but it's exactly how wisdom works is nothing's happened yet. I've not done anything this morning that would, that would give you the reason that something bad is about to happen, yet we kind of have this knowledge of what could possibly happen, right? It's not a guarantee at this point because we've not proved it, but whether you've lived through it, which some of you have, or you just understand the mechanics of what happens when you shake up a can of soda, you, you understand something is about to happen. Wisdom takes a choice, and it looks one choice beyond that. That's all wisdom is. Wisdom is seen beyond your next choice. The unwise looks at this and says, hey, look, a shaken can of soda. Cool. And opens it. Now, as an in well, does it? No. The wise person is able to say, hey, a shaken can of soda. Let me think that through for a moment. <laughs> if I open it, there's going to be a lot of carbonated pressure in there. It might explode all over me in our first two rows. Maybe we shouldn't do that. You see, that's what wisdom does. Wisdom helps you see beyond just your next choice. And what happens in our life when we don't plan things out, we tend to just make next decisions. Well, I'm just going to react and respond to this next decision. I'm just going to make this next decision. I'm just going to make this next decision without stopping for a long enough pause, pausing long enough to see, well, what's the likely outcome? Doesn't mean you're guaranteed. Doesn't mean you know for sure. We're not fortune tellers and can't see the future. But we've got enough wisdom from God that says, I think I see where this is going. Wisdom helps you see just one choice ahead at least. Helps you see beyond just the current choice. Now once again, what do you do if you're like, well, I don't have that. I mean, some people just have it and I don't. Let me help you. James chapter one, verse five. Here's what God says. If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you lack wisdom, what are we called to do? What does he tell us to do? Ask for it. Ask for it. It's not, well, just wait till you're older. You'll get some more experience. It's not, go and read some of these books. It's not real try hard in school. It's ask for it. Knowledge we can gain on our own, but wisdom is given by God. It's the Holy Spirit giving insight, discernment, ultimately wisdom into our lives to see beyond just our next choice. 
A well-thought-out plan must have wisdom, or it's a bad plan. It needs to be a wise plan. Wisdom comes from God. So as you think of aspects and areas of your life that you plan well in, but focus on, okay, we don't really have a plan for this. You need to have wisdom before you start putting plans in place, because it's going to help you see beyond just your next, your next decision. The other thing we see throughout this story of Ehud, his great plan, is of course it had some really good planning, but it didn't end with good planning. So often we confuse the, the idea of a good plan of just, well, you got to have the preparation and the good plan. Yes, but there also has to be follow through. Follow through is key. In any aspect of our lives, we have to follow through. The planning and everything that happens pre-game is important, but we have to also execute and stick to the plan. So a good plan comes from good planning, but also great discipline. We must have great discipline, great self-discipline, self-control. When you look through and you heard through the story of Ehud, there were plenty of opportunities for Ehud to detour. Plenty of opportunities for Ehud to see his plan and say, well, I'll just do it differently. Plan, 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 but then when the moment comes, he stuck to it. He most certainly could have, as soon as he started to offer the tribute, he could have taken his dagger out and plunged towards the king right then and there, but he chose to have discipline. Think of the self-control it took, armed over to the king, offering the tribute, and then to walk away just so that he could walk back and to let his plan play out. It took a lot of self-discipline. It took a lot of self-control. John Maxwell said it this way in regards to discipline and motivation. He said, motivation gets you going, but discipline keeps you growing. So often we're just looking for something to motivate us. I just need to get going. I just need to get going. Honestly, that's not that difficult. There's plenty of things in life that will motivate you. There's not a lot of things in life that will keep you moving, keep you going, and as John Maxwell said, keep you even growing. And not just for the dads in the room this morning, for all of us, that's what we're aiming for to continue to grow every choice, every step, every direction to keep us moving, but also to keep us growing. Instead of saying, well, I planned, let's just see what happens now. Or, well, I took all this time to plan and I don't really feel like doing that anymore. I get lazy, I get tired. Again, we can't plan for everything, but plan for what you can and stick to it. A friend of mine, I was asking him how he includes discipline into his life, and he said, well, one of the hardest disciplines for him and is for many of us is just regular prayer life, right? So let's take something that's relatively simple, right? As, As Christians, we know we're supposed to pray. We do pray on some occasion, but he said, I wanted to have the discipline of prayer that I would pray on my knees every day. And I'm like, well, man, I don't even do that, dude. And he said, well, it's, it's, if I'm going to pray, I had to have that in my life or else I would just move on. He recognized he had to be on his knees praying or else he would not develop the discipline of prayer. I was like, so how did you develop that discipline? He said, it was really easy. I put my keys under my bed and every morning I'd pray on my knees. I said, are you serious? And he said, dead serious. <laughs> First I thought it was just a, you know, a funny little joke. He's like, no, seriously. Every night I put my keys under my bed. So in the morning, when I get up, I get on my knees to find my keys, and I pray on my knees every single morning. I said, that's genius. You've got to find things like that. What are ways to insert discipline in your life to get where you want to go? See, discipline is the vehicle, the mode, the vessel of which we're able to execute the plan. Without discipline, without self-control, plan is just good planning, but it doesn't end up, doesn't take us or end us up anywhere specific. We have to have the discipline. 
Proverbs says it this way, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit. Say submit. Sub- one more time just to make sure that word really sunk in. Submit. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight or your direction clear. Key words there are trust and submit. Trust in the Lord. That takes discipline. In other words, it's not just what I want or what I feel or what I think. It's, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this plan, right? I've got some work to do, but I'm going to trust you. And in all of our ways, it says here, in all your ways, what was the word again? Submit. In all your ways, submit to him. Again, it's not what I want. It's not what I feel like in the moment. It's not what I think or what I would even want. It's, I'm going to submit to you, God. That takes discipline. I promise you, if you have not figured it out, that does not come naturally to anybody, Trusting in God and submitting to him is not in our human nature. We have to have the discipline and the self-control to do both of those things. So we can plan as much as we want, but if we don't have the discipline to see it through, we're not going to end up where we need to be or where we most certainly should be. Last thing I want you to see out of the story of Ehud. Verse 30. I want you to see where this ended. It all started because, remember the cycle of the Israelites? They loved God. They fell away from God. They went into slavery and captivity. They cried out to God. God gave them a deliverer. That deliverer made them free, rescued them. They loved God, then they fell away from God. That whole cycle. I want you to see how they got to the place of freedom. Verse 30, once again. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land of Israel had peace. Do you remember how long? For 80 years. Let that sink in for a second here. This whole plan took place in literally one day. It says that day. So this whole assassination of the king of Moab that was led by Ehud that then went and got the Israelite army together, fought against Moab, and they defeated them, all that happened in one day, in a 24-hour period. What happened in that one day resulted in 80 years of peace. 80 years of peace. If you read prior to this, you'll see that they were held captive for 18 years. So they were, in, they were slaves for 18. And one day, Ehud had a great plan that freed them and rescued them. And then they had 80 years of peace. Let me say this to you. Don't underestimate the value of one day. Don't underestimate the value of one day. Of course, most things in our life don't change overnight. Some things do. Some things do. Not everything, but some things do. And in our lives, we tend to dismiss the seemingly insignificant. Dads, it's dad's day. Let me talk with you for a second. The moments that you have with your kids, the phone call that you make to a son or a daughter, the availability that you have to them, how accessible you are to your kids, seemingly insignificant. Do that in a day and see what tomorrow looks like. With your spouse, with the people around you, one day at work can make or break it, can't it? Could be 80 years of peace or 80 years of looking for something else. What we do in one day matters. Now, we don't know which of those parts of our day are gonna have the most results. So let me just encourage you with that thought. I hope it, in a way, it, it keeps in the front of your mind and in the front of your heart every day. What I do today may result in a generation change. Because that's what we're talking here. 80 years is a generation. 
what Ehud did and his plan executed out led to a changed generation, an entire generation, and it all happened in one day because of a great plan, because of the self-discipline to follow through and execute that plan, we see an 80-year, a generational change. That's the result. So if you're tired, if you're exhausted, if you're wondering what you do is matter, if it matters and is making a difference, you look at the people in your life around you, and I'm like, I didn't think it would be here. I don't know what else to do. Start with today. Today matters. You can make a huge difference based on the plans that you begin to plan for, but also execute today. Let me just add this in here. If you don't like where you're at, change the, what do you think? Plan. <laughs> change the plan. If you don't like where you're at, change the plan. Well, the things were, the, the, just things haven't gone my way. It's not, not anything anybody could have planned for. Totally get that. Starting today, change the plan. If things have popped up in your life, which they do, that you could not have planned for, Start planning towards it. Well, where do you want to be? Where do you want to end up? What does it look like to start planning today and begin to execute with discipline and self-control? First Timothy has a word, not just for the men and the dads in the room, but for all of us. Helps us see, the way I would encourage you to filter this through, is helps you to see what to focus on and pursue each and every day, because we said every day is significant. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12 says this, but you, man of God, flee from all of this. And if you want to know what the all of this is, read earlier in chapter 6. You have a list of the, all the flee froms. But here's what I want you to focus on, what to pursue. It says, and pursue, here's the list, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the internal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Pursue those things, endurance, gentleness, godliness, pursue those, righteousness. That's what we chase after. That's what we try to make sure we have in each and every day, because every day matters. Every day is significant, and when we pursue the right things with the right plan and the self-control and self-discipline, you'll see God able to lead us exactly where we need to be and where he desires us to be. So don't always look for the miracle. Sometimes we just need to have a really good plan, but we have to have wisdom. Without wisdom, you're not going to have a good plan. So ask for wisdom. Anybody who wants wisdom, what did God say? Ask for it. Ask for wisdom. Have the discipline and the self-control. Start looking at your life. Maybe even take an inventory and say, where do I need to add some discipline? I'm not very disciplined in this area. It doesn't have to be a spiritual area. Add discipline in your life and you will see your plans start to move forward. It doesn't mean they go perfectly, but it means you're able to move them forward. Remember, the difference between, a, or the goal is what we usually have, but if it's not planned out without wisdom, you're just having wishful thinking. So we have to have the plan as well as the discipline to execute it. And don't underestimate the power of one day. It is significant when we're pursuing the right thing, which is what First Timothy tells us. So each week, if you've been here, this is another one for you. If you're new here, you haven't been here for the summer yet, I'm giving you three things to do every single week. So here's your three things this week. Take a picture on the screen, write them down if you want to. I'll post these up on our social sites as well tomorrow. Something to read, something to pray, and something to do. Since you don't have anything else to do this summer, I'm going to make sure you stay busy. So something to read, a chapter out of Proverbs every single day this week. 
Open up your Bible to Proverbs if you've never done this before. Proverbs is almost in the middle. You probably open to Psalms, and all you got to do is just find Proverbs basically right next to Psalms. Find Proverbs. There's 30 chapters in there. Go through and read a chapter a day, however you want to do it. Just if it's the day of the week, you can do that, or just basically read a chapter of Proverbs a day. Something to pray. We said that all you got to do is ask for wisdom, so pray that. Let's not overcomplicate it. God, I don't have wisdom. God, I need wisdom. And guess what? He will begin to give it to you. So ask God for wisdom. And something to do is make a plan. Make a plan. Now I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to get your plan started. So even if you're not a note taker, I want you to write down four things. So grab your worship guide, communication card, grab your phone. I'm going to give you four things to begin to think through in regards to your plan. Because if you don't do this, you're not going to do it. I know how plans work. Have the discipline to write this down. See, we're already applying what we will learn from Ehud. This is good. Four things. Here's what I want you to start thinking through in regards to your plans. The first one is your family, and I'm going to come back and talk about them. Second one is your finances. Third one is your future. And the last one is fun. And yes, as a preacher, we have to make things start with the same letter, so they all start with Fs. You're welcome. First one, we plan for our family. What do I mean by that is what kind of family do you want? What kind of family do you want? I'm not necessarily talking about, well, how many kids do we want? Where do we want to live? Maybe that's part of it. I'm talking, what kind of family do you want? I'll give you an example. You can take this. I stole this from somebody else. This is something Becky and I have talked about, is we want our kids to have three things ingrained in them, respect, responsibility, and resilience. Yes, they all start with R's. See how we do this? We said we want our kids to be those three things. If, if they graduate out of our house and leave with responsibility, respect, and resilience, infused, obviously, with God, we feel like... That's pretty much all we can do. I mean, that's asking a lot for me, but I think that will be good. So we plan for that. We don't just hope it happens. We don't just wish it happens. We plan for that to happen. So how do we plan to make them responsible? We give them a lot of chores to do. How do we plan to make them resilient? We let them get hurt. How do we plan for them to be respectful? They have to say sir or ma'am or mister and missus, and if they don't, we stand there until they do. We make plans for those things. Now, is it perfect? No. Is it a plan? Yes. Plan for the type of family you want. Not just in kids, but as a married couple. Date nights don't just magically happen. Have you discovered this? You have to schedule them for them to happen. Make a plan. What kind of marriage do you want? What does it look like? What kind of husband do you want to be? What kind of wife do you want to be? Are you not married? What kind of husband would you want to be? What kind of wife would you want to be? Look at your life. Look at your family. What's your relationship with your parents? What do you want that relationship to look like? What do you want the relationship to be like with your siblings? Make a plan for it to happen or else you're just wishing for it and it's not going to happen. Family. Finances. Make a plan for your finances. Whatever that looks like for you, you need to have a plan. Another word for that is a b <clears throat> I'm having a little, it's a hard word to say, isn't it? Help me out. Budget. Yes, you have to have some kind of a budget. Now, it's not just week to week or month to month. That's big things. That's big. What do you want to do with your money? And I'm going to help you out as a church. We're going to help you with that. We're doing something called FPU in the fall, Financial Peace University. It's out, the whole Dave Ramsey stuff. We're going to be offering all kinds of FPU classes for you this coming fall to help with your financial planning. You don't have to be a financial wizard to have a plan for your finances. Make a plan for your finances. What was the next one? I had four Fs. Future. Thank you. Future. What do you want to do when you grow up? And that's across the board. <laughs> Every single, what do you want to do when you grow up? 
Where do you want to visit? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? Look at your future and begin to have a plan for that because if you don't have a plan for it, guess what? It's just going to be a wishful thought. Have a plan for getting to where you want to go. What kind of schooling do you want to go to? What's maybe that next career move, the next job? What school do you want to go to? What do you want to study? What do you want to learn? What does your future look like? And the last one, hope you remember this one, is fun. Yes, plan for fun. We have to infuse fun in our lives, and it's so easy to make every day about getting things done. We don't plan to do the fun things. And I'm not talking just vacations. I'm talking about the small things. One of the, if you asked my kids what was the best part of their week, they could tell you a lot of different things. But what they might tell you is pool and pizza. We had planned for this for day after day, and it kept raining and storming every time I got home from work. So it got pushed back, pushed back, pushed back, and we finally, this last week, were able to do pool and pizza. What did pool and pizza consist of? $5 pizza from Little Caesars at our community pool. That's it. But they had a blast. It was something fun for our family. You got to infuse fun. What are your hobbies? What do you like to do? What refills you and replenishes you as an individual, as a couple, as a family, as a group of people and friends? You have to plan for fun. So I helped you with that last one. Make a plan. Pick one of those this week and have some intentional prayer and intentional conversations if you're married on what those plans might look like. You don't have to tackle the whole thing. You don't have to show back next week and say, hey, I've got my 10-year plan, Brian. I'm not looking for that. My hope and my prayer is that we make the most of every day because that every day could lead to 80 years of change, a change for an entire generation. It's significant, it matters, but we have to plan for it as well as have the discipline for it as well. So the story of Ehud, an incredibly gruesome story if you read through the whole thing, but very practical when you look at the plans that he put in place. Let me pray for us, and then I told you I would end early. My plan worked. I had the self-discipline and the self-control to follow through with my plan. You see this? You're welcome. You're welcome. So, and we, by the way, this is another application. We've planned for fun, thus root beer floats. You see how this all works? All right. Let me pray for us, and we'll go have some fun out in the lobby together. God, thanks so much for, for how you give us the wisdom we need to not just make it through another day, but to make incredible changes, significant improvements every single day. God, we are far from perfect, but you have a great plan in place for us, the plan of Jesus Christ. There is no other plan that brings us to you. There's no other plan in place that forgives us of all of our mistakes and sins. There's no other plan to help us move forward in this life. There's no other plan with the promise of eternal life. That plan is one and only Jesus, your one and only son. So thank you for the plan you have placed in our lives. God, help us to follow your example and to plan for the important things, to plan for our family, to plan for our finances, to plan for the futures, but also plan to enjoy the life that you have given us with the people you have placed in our lives. Give us the self-discipline and self-control to follow through and help us to ask for wisdom continually as you promise to give it. In Jesus' name, amen.